Thank you, Pastor Darrell and Pastor Bethany. It's a joy to be with you this morning. Praise the Lord. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to read a very familiar passage to all of us today. Matthew chapter 22 is the passage on the greatest commandment, verse 37, all the way to 40. Verse 36 is the context. Jesus was asked, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. Verse 39, The second is like, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And then I'm going to read to you Romans chapter 13, which is basically the same um, verse from the Old Testament, but written from a slightly different angle. Romans chapter 13, we have verse 8. All the way to verse 10. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of all of, of the law. So, we're going to ask the Lord to open up this scripture to us, even in like with the climate of this nation, where a lot of... Uh, things are at stake, we have to understand what the Lord is saying about the first and the greatest commandment spilling over to the second commandment. Father, we just want to say thank you that on this Sunday morning, your people who are called by your name can gather right here in this city called Cambridge. Lord, together with all the saints who call upon your name in every congregation, in every denomination in this city, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on a daily basis. And the reason why we could celebrate this resurrection is because He has come and paid the full price for our redemption so that we can be a new creation in Christ Jesus. In this new creation, it is no longer that we live, but Christ that lives within us. And this vibrant spiritual life it is expressed with the priority of this great commandment that is laid before us. So Father, this morning we ask that you open up this commandment to us and allow us not only to understand, but let this law be written in our hearts. Let it become flesh that can be, that can be experienced and felt by the people around us. Let it overflow, not only in proclamation, but in demonstration. 
So come Holy Spirit, this morning, we ask you to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to your power that is at work within your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as, as you can see, this verse has been read regularly in the churches. It's called the Great Commandment. But in this particular context, it says that it is the first and the great. They are not synonymous. First has to do with the order, the priority. And great has to do with the greatness of this commandment, the importance of this commandment. Actually, the first and the second are all part of the great commandment, but they come in order. First, to love God with all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our mind. If you read another verse, it says all of our strength. Now, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. Verse 40 is the pivotal point. It says these two commandments, which is one commandment in two parts, hang all the law and the prophets. Now, law and the prophets refer to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, where he says that heaven and earth will fade, but my word will remain. I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. So, as we can see in the Old Testament, the first five books, the Torah, we refer that to the law. The prophets refer to all the minor prophets and the major prophets. And in between, we have the Psalms and the Proverbs and the Song of Song and the Ecclesiastes that we refer to the poetry book. So, all these 39 books, the law and the prophets, this can be summed up in one great commandment. If we put it in the place of priority in our life, in other words, we are walking in the John 13 reality that Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. What's that? Love one another, even as I love you. Jesus didn't add anything in the New Testament right before He gave the Lord's Supper and right after He washed the disciples' feet. He simply reinforced something that's already in the legal code, that's already in the book. But He says that if you really want to experience what I'm saying, if you want, really want to live it out, then you have to walk by the power of My Spirit because loving one another requires a Spirit-filled life, especially when you define love My way. The definition of love is not up for grabs. It's not a culturally fluid thing. Because God is love. Can you put an equation? God is love. He knows exactly what love is. When you put the mathematical equation of equal, God equals love, there is no room for maneuver. There is no room for negotiation. So he knows exactly what is love because the entire creation, if you think about it, you know, science has advanced greatly over the last few centuries. We know a lot about the universe. Recently, the ultra-deep field, you know, the, the vision that we capture through Hubble, we can see all the way back to about 700 million years before the Big Bang. That is like huge, huge achievement. Like we know way back, almost in the beginning, of what happened. Of course, now people are speculating the things before the Big Bang with the multiverse, etc., etc. You know, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this present, you know, our state of existence that came out of 
possibly that little moment of explosion. And we know a lot. But in the vastness of what we know, we still couldn't figure out why it has to come into being. Why? The why question is, it cannot be answered on a scientific, empirical level. It has to be answered more than that. So we created a term called metaphysical, you know. Something more than physical, meta. Meta is a very broad, fluid, you know, meta-human, meta-this, meta then You can create X-Men and all kinds of super-duper stuff if you create the word meta. So, it means more than physical, more than what we can describe. But the Bible was crystal clear without apology to say that creation makes sense. Creation came into being because God is love and He made creation out of this drive called love. Can you imagine living forever without love? The prospect of God offering every believer who believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting existence, everlasting consciousness, everlasting life, but devoid of love. That's scary. I don't know what's that. You want to exist forever in a world with no purpose? I remember in one of the recent uh, episodes or, or movie of Star Trek, my son and I watched that movie. You know, at this age, when he's his teenage year, you have to watch all the sci-fi, right? <laughs> okay, so anyway, I don't know whether it's more him or me. You know, I'm quite confused about that. Yeah, he's pointing. Dad is the one. He's, don't blame it on me, man. So, okay, so we'll sort it out later. So anyway... In that particular episode, it begins with this older Captain James T. Kirk of Star Trek, okay? Okay, I know there are two groups here, Star Wars, Star Trek, so I don't want to start a war. Okay, so, so basically, this guy who is the central figure of the movie, he was traveling for a long time. And uh, if you know the, the slogan of uh, Starship Enterprise to boldly go when no one has gone before, you know, explore new worlds. So he was doing exactly that. He's been traveling for a long, long time. He's traveled to distant stars where no human being has ever been before. New frontier, further away from any human being has gone before. And then he suddenly has a thought, maybe I should retire to be some station master somewhere in the state. Because the prospect of traveling continuously. I don't even know why I'm doing it anymore. There is no end to this cosmos. I've been traveling for a long time and I'm still traveling. I'm still exploring this infinite, seemingly infinite universe. The fact that we continue to exist and live forever without a sense of purpose and destiny and love is a scary prospect. So when God said, this is the first and the great commandment. He is putting this reality right in the heart of everything about life, about existence. And when He said this to us, He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Sometimes as Christian, we simply read this verse in a very quick way. God wants us to, to love Him wholeheartedly. That's precise, wholeheartedly. He wants everything, our kidney, our liver, everything. He wants everything. He doesn't want just a part of us. He wants every part of us. 
And then we say, God, why are you so demanding? No, he's not demanding. That's the only way he knows how to love. Everything, with everything. That's the only way he knows how to love. So he's just speaking his language. That's the way I love you, with everything. So I, I only expect you to love me back the same way. And then I also expect you to love one another just as I love you, with everything. No, it's hard to do, right? Because there are many people that are not easy to love. So that's why the new commandment given in John 13 is easier said than done. It requires the power of the resurrection living within us and then the spirit-filled life that empowers us in order for us to walk out this simple one verse. A new commandment I gave to you. Love one another even as I have loved you. Because He loved with everything. So, I want to zoom in this morning into one aspect of loving God. He said we shall love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. You know, this is a spirit-filled church. The reason why you're gathered here this morning, yes, this church is cool. I can feel very cool, man. I like that. <laughs> and most, more than that, the value and the heartbeat behind this church is that they want the fullness of the Word, and they want the fullness of the Spirit. Amen? And that is very unique in this particular neighborhood. And that's very unique in this city. And I believe God raised up this church for a very peculiar reason so that they can be a, you can be a witness to this community, a city on the hill that cannot be hidden. So, I believe that when I prayed for you, the Lord highlighted to me that He wants to take this community with a lot of talented people and begin to challenge you to love Him with all of your mind, not just with all of your soul and with all of your heart. We, we need to love God with our emotion. We do need to love God with everything that is definable and undefinable inside. But we also can love God with all of our mind. You know, there's a struggle sometimes within the evangelical and the charismatic. The evangelical specialize in the rational and the, the charismatic specialize in the mystical. I mean the nuances, the intangible, what the Spirit says. In fact, there are some more extreme uh, charismatic and Pentecostal that says that, you know, if you get spirit-filled, you should just kiss your brain goodbye. No, you don't, you don't kiss your brain goodbye. You transform your mind. In fact, a transformed mind. You, you, know, you know our brain, we are only beginning to approach the more greater understanding of our mind. I've been reading just on a general scale, not technical papers, that our brain has an amazing computer, computing powers. You know, I, I, they, from what I read, it's called the exascale computing. If you add 500 fastest supercomputer in the world, from China, America, everywhere, you know, they're all competing in terms of the petaflop speed. And you combine them together, the top 500, we are not even approaching the potential computing power of the human brain yet. Okay? Now, we all don't use all our brain at, this, at all the time. We only use a fraction of our ability, okay? That's why we all don't feel like we are thinking faster than the supercomputer, right? And the amazing thing is this. These little masks on, on our, in, on, in our skull here only occupy a very small space. 
compared to some of the large supercomputers, the fastest one right now in China, is about 10 apartment blocks. It occupies about 10 apartment blocks. And it, it, whenever they power it on, it takes 350 megawatt of electricity to do the computing. That is a, the, the electricity power that's needed for a small size city. And our brain needs about 20 watt. If you give a little bit of Subway and a, a, a cup of Starbucks coffee, it's happy. The brain is happy. It doesn't need 350 megawatt of electricity to power up in order to count. Okay? It just needs a little bit of food. Okay, after church, they're taking me for some good place. So my brain will be very happy. Your church has a food anointing, right? So that's what you say. I'm just quoting from you. So the point is the brain gets happy quite easily. It doesn't require that much consumption of energy and power in order to work. That's why we could keep living, you know, and this thing is really effective. And, and in history, we saw that there has been amazing human being in an era where, where humans were released to imagine godly things and to compose godly music and amazing sound and colors and invention and formulas and mathematics have come up from this mind of people who love the Lord. Of course, it's not easy to find their spirituality nowadays because most of their uh, faith were kind of suppressed in the literature. You have to dig a few levels deep before you know what they believe. For example, Isaac Newton. You know, for those people who love mathematics and physics, you probably, oh, Newton, man, if you go to England, he's almost like a small god. Okay, so I know this is Cambridge. This is new Cambridge, not the old Cambridge. So the point is this, that, that Newton wrote 1.3 million words on theology. He has written more words about God than he has written on, of course, mathematical formula doesn't require so many words. But my point is this, he put a lot of his brain power thinking about God. In fact, he got himself into trouble a little bit because he used his mathematical genius to try to predict the second coming of Jesus. He actually has a date. If you read some of his writing, that he has a predicted date. I mean, no, he's not supposed to predict when Jesus is coming back. But he used his mathematical genius into the scripture and he tried to lock in the date of the second coming. I mean, he got himself into trouble there a little bit. But my point is this. These were the people who were fascinated by the creation of God. You know, Johannes Bach. Of course, that's several hundred years ago. I mean, it's not everybody's into classical music. But he and his work were the foundation of all the other eras that, you know, the music that we build upon. And then, of course, Michelangelo, you know, and many other people. Read the, their spirituality. Read why they create. Read why their mind became alive. There was a driving force behind this creative genius and it has to do with their faith. It has to do with the way they are trying to love God and depict God and paint the beauty of God and, and make the sound that reflect the beauty of God. I believe we have an opportunity here in this congregation gathering not only the minds and the hearts of this community of the people, whether you are here in the city for one year or you are here for a longer period of time, I believe we have an opportunity to live and express ourselves as a community that loves Jesus with our mind. And, and not only in terms of science and music. 
You know, the International Red Cross Society was founded by a young Swiss person by the name of Henry Dunan. I was an International Red Cross member when I was in my youth. And I studied his history. He was the same man who was instrumental in founding the YMCA, the International YMCA. And which used to be youth hostel that were missionary stationed across the world for, for young men to go from nation to nation to preach the gospel. Of course, YMCA today means something else to a lot of people. But they were basically lodging location where missionaries go from nation to nation to preach the gospel. And what was so radical about the, the way Henry Dunant and his generation thinks was that when they face the brutality of war, they say that we're going to go into the war zone and treat the prisoner of war humanely and regardless of which side they are fighting for. That means whether it's enemy or, foe, or, or friend, whether we're on the friendly side or they're hostile, we are going in and we're going to treat them as human beings. So they put on this race, great race cross patch and they go in. Those kind of concepts were so radical for that time, so radical. But it was undergirded by the thinking of Christian charity that every human being were created in the image of God that deserved the basic dignity. Then the Geneva Convention came about. The first 13 countries signed the convention. The young men led the whole thing in Switzerland. And then the international humanitarian law came about where the human rights and everything was built upon that same foundation. So I want to say this to you, that when, when, when the Lord said in the first and greatest commandment, if you love me, one of the expressions of loving me is to love me with all of your mind. There is a lot going on in just that expression. Love me with all of your heart is another ways of expressing, but I'm just focusing on the mind dimension today. But it's not a given. It's not automatic. Because there are scriptures that says that an unrenewed mind or mind that continually give ourselves to carnal thoughts are actually adversarial to God. So there need to be some form of nurturing and cultivation in the discipline of our mind to allow our creativity and our thought process to go Godward. So let me read to you Romans chapter 8 here. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is an enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Nor indeed can be. So in other words... There is something called a carnal mind. The mind that continually allows ourselves to drift towards our, anim, an, uh, our beastly nature, our fleshly nature, which means just the fulfillment of our self-needs. And all the things that the scripture talk about, licentiousness, uh, fornication, adultery, you know, all the different things that the flesh is craving for. Though some of them are needs. But some of them has become things that we are obsessed about and has probably imprisoned us instead of freeing us to live a spiritual life. 
So Romans 8, I want to encourage you to meditate on that. And then we're going to turn to Romans 12 right now. Romans 12 is a very uh, remarkable uh, chapter. Verse 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or acceptable worship. Verse 2, And do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Note the word renewing. It's not renewed. Renewing is an active, ongoing word. Be transformed in the renewing of your mind. It's a process. It's an ongoing process that you may prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. In other words, sometimes the Spirit of God has moved in our life. Sometimes the Spirit of God is energizing us and we know deep inside our spirit man there is a witness that God is saying something. But because our mind is not cooperating, we, we could be in the tension of resisting what God wants to do. So how do we renew our mind? The Word of God. Now, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than the two-aged sword. And God could have chosen to give His Word in a telepathic manner. In other words, an Almighty God decided that it's too... It's a waste of resources. We've got to cut down too many trees in order to print books. Okay, This best-selling book called the Bible has thousand, more than a thousand pages. We have to cut a lot of trees okay, to really, to really print a lot of Bibles. Why don't we just take care of the environment and not print books and let's do telepathic transfer. Okay, Everybody get the Word of God right now. Instantly. No mistake. Okay, But he chose to transmit the Word through the written scripture after an initial period of oral tradition. Now, this is very, very important to us because in Luke chapter 4, Jesus was uh, facing the temptation from the devil after the 40-day fast. And as the Son of God, the Word incarnate, everything that He say out of His mouth is the Word of God. He's the Word, so everything He say is the Word. He doesn't need to quote the Word. He is the Word, right? Correct? Are we on the same page? But on that encounter with the devil, where the devil was vehemently attacking him, Jesus responded to the devil three times with this opening phrase, It is written. He was quoting for the written word. He subject himself to what has been given in the Old Testament text. And by the Spirit of God, he, he fanned the devil away. And the devil was so upset the first two rounds, he decided if this is the way you want to play this game, I'm going to quote the Bible myself too. So he quoted the Bible on the third temptation, Psalms 91. And Jesus replied with the written scripture again. Now, if the Son of God himself would treat the Word of God this way, how much more we as disciples of Jesus today, by the Spirit of God, need to give ourselves to the Word and allow it to renew our mind. Now, I want to say this to you, my brothers and sisters, not all the word, written word makes sense to us when we first read it. Some of them, some of the words are very difficult to chew. It, it looks really odd. It is really challenging. 
We have the temptation to change it. We have the temptation to modify it. We have the temptation to make it sound a little bit more digestible in the modern day context. We, we will probably face those dilemmas. I faced it many times. But the attitude I take usually when I encounter those difficulties is not to decide, okay, accept, reject, accept, reject right now. I don't put myself in a position of the judge of the word because I know that the word of God is my judge. No, I'm not the judge of the word. So I will take time. And I know that a lot of the time, the glitches is not so much in the understanding level, but in the application level. Is this livable? What will happen to me if I really leave this out? What is the consequences if this word will mean, will, will mean this way, I really leave this out? What will be my experience? What will be the impact of the word for the people around me? And those were the things I wrestled with. And sometimes I wrestle for years when I'm stuck with one verse. I don't need to claim that I understand everything and I have clarity on every single verse at any time, even though I've studied the Word for so many years. So, in other words, I put myself in this posture as a perpetual student of the Word and some area where I have conviction, I no longer negotiate, but some, a lot of areas I don't have very clear black and white finality yet, but I allow myself to stand on sound doctrine, but yet allow the Lord to continue to shape me daily. And that shaping process is a renewal of our mind. The renewal of our mind is a very important process. The more our mind is renewed, the more that the will of God becomes clear to us and is understandable to us on issues that are relevant today to us on the private sphere of our life as well as in the public sphere of our life. So this morning, my challenge to this church is very simple. God is looking for wholehearted lovers of Jesus. But one of the expressions of a wholehearted lover is a renewed and a transformed mind. I believe with all of our hearts. You know, if we have all eternity in our resurrected body, if this non-resurrected body is producing so much that we can see, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all combined together. Nothing is boring in life. You know, we are at an age where we are even allowing machine to learn and artificial intelligence to come forth. It is remarkable, and we, we don't even have a resurrected body yet. Can you imagine when, when we come, we, we, when, we, when we return with us at the sound of the last trumpet, when the dead in Christ rise again, and that, that mortal, the mortal body is given unto us. We are no longer wearing this corruptible body, but put on incorruption. Do you think there is no consciousness at that point of time? If there is consciousness, I think that the amount of capacity we will have is probably at the scale that we cannot even imagine right now. And so for all eternity, with no limitation of time, Life is going to be profoundly fascinating. You know, of course, as Christians, all we have to do is make sure that we believe in Jesus and get to heaven, and heaven will take care of itself. But forever is a long time. We have no idea what we're going to do. <laughs> Floating in the clouds, wearing white gown, one singular color, everybody the same uniform forever. <laughs> that is not my picture of eternity. You know, if you put a prism and the, the, light, the visible light will produce seven different colors, I think God around His throne with that 
emerald, rainbow color, whatever that they, the human language can describe, that is the picture of eternal beauty. And we haven't even touched it yet. You know, there were creatures in heaven, seraphim, that have eyes all over their body. You know, I don't know, um, Alan probably has come here before. I don't know, Alan loved to preach about a seraphim. You know, you know the seraphim has six wings, right? They're always flying around the throne of God, beholding the beauty of God, and they have only one word to describe, called holy. And then they repeat the same word, holy. A million years later, they still found only one word fitting the description, holy. A trillion years later, it's still one word, holy. You are like nothing else that we have seen. You are holy, totally different than anything else we have seen. You are holy, you are set apart. You are holy. That's all. The finality, the beginning and the end word, holy. Okay, so once in a while, I can imagine those wings, they have spare wings, you know, two for flying, there are four more to go, right? So they will use the wings to get some relief from the light of the glory of God that's hitting them 24-7. So they cover their eyes, but unfortunately, even on the wings, there were eyes. There was no break. So holy again, right? So my point is this, if those creatures who are made for the realm of timelessness, will have all these eyes, because you know eyes are very important. No matter how beautiful this world is, we have no organ to interpret the likes. We cannot enjoy the color show that we are seeing right now. You know, we, When we read those uh, old Roots magazine or books with old photographs that's black and white, we imagine that they live in the world that's black and white. No, they didn't live in the world that's black and white. We just couldn't capture Photographs that's 200 years ago, 150 years ago. They did not live in the world that's black and white. This organ is very important, but can you imagine the body, a mind that is in the resurrected body in the coming day? But I believe that we don't have to just wait for those days. That a born-again, spirit-filled believer, the faculty of our mind in loving God is extremely important. You know, bringing forth whether social transformation, innovation in terms of healthcare in any area, I just want to challenge this church. You are strategically planted by the Lord as the community in this place, in a city that's so enriched with resources. If You know, if, if in America, that the Kansas City is called the heart of America. Location, that's our slogan. Heart of America. Maybe Boston is the brain of America. I don't know. You know, between you and Silicon Valley. Let's see. Okay, so, but you know, it's, it's, whether it's the brain of America or the heart of America, but as believers in Christ, I, I see an opportunity here in the grace of God to challenge you that wholehearted loving of Jesus involves an engagement of a renewed and a transformed mind. Amen? And um, so, I, I personally, in my limited way, have walked through different experiences of things that I did not learn in the natural, but through life that's devoted and in prayer, God would spark some ideas and some, some ways that surprises me, that caused me to marvel at who God is. Because every time we step forward and we, we, we love God with our mind, our mind is so engaged and so fascinated with the thoughts of who He is. So, this morning, without giving you more and longer message, 
I just want to challenge some of you. I believe that I was sent here by the Lord to just give language to what some of you has already been feeling in your heart. This is not something new. You, you, you have it inside you. You, you. you are probably already been placed by the Lord in some of those conversations. But I, I believe that the Lord is just allowing His servant today to give you an articulation, an affirmation, a confirmation, to give you the language and to set you on the course on some of the things that God perhaps have called you. But there is a sober warning. The warning is this. There is something called the carnal mind. You know, that has nothing just to do with how smart you are. It is what you allow your mind to be soaked in. What sort of thought? There is, the meditation of Christ is so important. You know, the, the, the book of Colossians, chapter 2 and 3, the author warned the audience about a mind given to just philosophy and tradition of man versus Christ. He says that you have been delivered out from the principle of this world, the basic principle of this world, the tradition of man, the philosophy, but you are now redeemed and delivered into Christ. Christ is not a concept. Christ is a person. In John chapter 14, when the disciples were confused about why Jesus was announcing His departure, and they say, where are you going? Jesus said, you know the way. And they say, show us the way. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am truth. I am life. Jesus is saying to them, your way is not a path. Your way is a person. Truth is not a concept. It's not a dogma. It's not a list. It's not a list of formula. It's a person. Truth is embodied in a living person. His name is Jesus. Our destiny is a person, not a location, not a destination. Where the Lamb of God is, there we will be also. That's why Jesus said, when I return, I come and receive you, not to heaven, to myself. To an unspecified location that is connected to where He's at. He, he does not predict to us an eternal future of all the locations that we will be locked in. We have so little information about how we are going to spend our eternity. All He assures us is, you're going to be with me. You are signing up for an eternal companionship. Not a religion, not a concept, not anything. You're locked in. And you know, the, the reason why he took on the resurrected body as the only person who has a resurrected body right now in the heavenly realm is because he is locking this covenant in with no exit strategy. You know, everybody else who died in Christ is in heaven, no one has a resurrection body. We're all waiting for the second coming of Jesus, the last trumpet for the dead in Christ to rise. But after he died and rose again on the third day, he took on the resurrected body. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, For this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother and join to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Jesus, the, the bridegroom, came and paid the price, the full price for us on the cross, to purchase his own bride, to redeem his bride to himself. So that one day he come back for the marriage on his wedding day and give with the sound, sound of the last trumpet, raise his bride 
and give her the resurrected body and the two shall have the same kind of flesh and be joined together forever and ever. But why did he went ahead to be the firstborn from the dead? He's saying, I have no exit strategy for my covenant of marriage. You know, after I became flesh, I could have gone and paid the price on the cross. I could have gone back and become divine, fully divine. I don't owe it to anybody to be stuck in a human body. But I don't want to go back. I have a one way. I'm coming in. I'm locking myself in. I'm committed. For how long? Forever. Does anybody love us like that? Come on. We might have people that like us for 20 years, 25 years. That's a long time, you know. Even that in between, they need a lot of vacation and break from liking us, you know. And then some reconciliation meeting and getting back together, you know. But we got a Jesus Christ who is locked in with us. How long? Forever. And that's after He has all the foreknowledge of everything about us. He knows everything about us. And He still chooses to lock in with us forever. That's the part the angel could not understand. Okay, Nobody understands that love. No one. They're all scratching their head. Even we don't understand what that means. So I want to say this to you, that even today as we gather together in closing, in responding to the Word of God, if you feel that you know, in, your, in your life you sometimes have a struggle, you know, I love the Lord, you know, I don't know, my, you know my, what to do with my active mind. If your mind is active, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We don't need your mind to calm down. We need it to be renewed and empowered by the Spirit. Amen. We need to fire up that brain. Godward. Because we have not seen the fullness of the capacity of what our mind could do for a person who loved the Lord with all our mind. And we're not talking about measuring intellectualism based on human skill here. Creativity comes in different forms. Sometimes in the simplest little things that other people may not give credit to or acknowledge. But it's brilliant. Amen? So, let's respond to the Word of God this morning. Hallelujah. I didn't look at the clock. I don't know whether it's a long sermon or a short sermon. I know we're done. Hallelujah. But the Holy Spirit is not done with you yet. The preacher is done, okay? To respond to the Word of God this morning. Hallelujah. There are three groups of people that the Lord wants to highlight this morning. Number one, God has already given you some open doors to love Him with your mind. Love Him with your mind. But you are not feeling the empowerment and the release. Maybe because you're not sure. Secondly, you feel that the environment around you is not empowering you to do so. I want you to look at Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, and simply present your body as a living sacrifice before the Lord. And say, God, here I am, Lord. My spirit, soul, my body, my mind. I present it before the Lord. And I say, God, use me for your glory. Secondly, second group of people, you're saying that, Lord, this morning, after I hear your word, Lord, I, I'm not sure what I'm good for. It doesn't matter. I, I, but I want to be available to you, Lord. I don't think I've used the full capacity of what you've given me in my mind to love you yet. I just want to make myself available. So first group, God has 
position you. You have some open door, but you're holding back because of some reason. Second group, you're really not very sure, but you, you know there are more that God has given to you. And you just want to say, God, here, I'm, I'm available. I, I don't want to say that whether I'm good or bad, just as I am, I come before you. And thirdly, that there's a third group of people that you find that in your relationship with the Scripture, the written Scripture, you're struggling in some passages. And this morning, I want to encourage you to come before the Lord and simply say, God, I am going to take your word at surface value. What you say, I say, Amen. But Lord, help me understand when I hit the difficulty and the hurdles in the Word of God, will you just stay with me? Will you just be patient with me? Will you teach me your truth? Lord, would you send people into my life to guide me so that I won't jump to the conclusion, to make dogmatic conclusion or, or, or to reject your word so quickly? Give me patience, dear Lord. So there are three groups of people I believe the Lord is highlighting. If you belong to any of these three groups, I want to invite you to come forward and just make a visible response to the Lord and say, God, I want to respond to your word this morning. Don't wait for one another. The Word of God is clear. You just respond to the